Well, good morning, church. It is always a blessing for us to be together. And I always kind of feel like every time we watch the, the Invitation to Kids Church video, the fact that you guys all stay in here and you don't go down there for the games and the fun and the... I mean, I know the kids are excited to give. I really, it is one of the highlights of my week as well. But part of me wonders if part of the joy is they're getting to leave. Uh, they don't have to sit through what you're about to have to sit through. So uh, I, I am so thankful for what happens in our kids' church, and I'm thankful for what happens in big kids' church uh, as well. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you for this time we have to be together as your people and as we open our hearts to your word this morning, God, we ask that you would, through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would speak what each one of us most needs to hear. And we pray that not only would we hear what it is that you're saying to us, but that we would be changed by it, that we would be transformed more and more into people who are like your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I want to welcome all of you who are in town this weekend from Sing Song. It's always great to have you here. I want to welcome those of you who are joining us online. We are continuing this morning uh, with a series that we've been doing for the last 12 weeks, actually, uh, a focus on the Gospel of Matthew and his image of Jesus, his, his portrait of Jesus that he paints throughout his Gospel. And one of the key things that he's wanting us to know about Jesus is the fact that not only is he a teacher, but he is the long-awaited Messiah. And through his life and through his ministry, he is bringing with him the coming kingdom of God. And that the kingdom is always breaking into our lives. That the, the kingdom is closer to us than it's ever been before. And that in fact, you and I, if we're able to open up our eyes and our hearts enough, we, we start to see all the ways that the kingdom really is happening here and now. Now, we've, we've looked at all the different ways that Jesus talks about that. We've looked at the ways that Jesus demonstrates it through what he's able to do. And this morning, we're going to be asked by Jesus to consider our place in the kingdom and what it means. If the kingdom really is breaking in and you and I belong to it, how does that work? And the first thing that I, I want us to, to understand together this morning is that when it comes to, to our place in the kingdom of heaven, it is always God's gift. It is never our accomplishment. It is not something that the life that we have with Jesus as our king, as Jesus is the one who is leading us, Jesus is the one who's helping us experience who we're supposed to be, as God's children, as, as disciples of Christ, all of that, it's a gift. It's not something that you and I are able to unlock through our own effort. It's not something you and, you and I are able to make happen. It's, it's a truth that we either see and experience or we don't. We're either open to it or we aren't. And, and throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is trying to find different ways to reach people. He's trying to find different ways to help them see it and taste it and hear it. And every single time, he finds a way to help them understand that it's mercy, that it's grace, that God coming into our lives and our world and remaking us into the people we were always supposed to be, it's mercy and grace and gift. You go all the way back to, to Matthew 
uh, chapter 8, and there's this one set of, of healing. It, it's, it's moment after moment of Jesus doing all these things for people that they couldn't do for themselves. It's the kingdom breaking in. And then in, in Matthew 9, he walks right up to, to Matthew himself, a tax collector, somebody who's made a bunch of decisions in his life that have caused his neighbors not to understand him and reject him. And, and he's got to feel like someone who couldn't be farther from the kingdom of God. And Jesus says to him, come, follow me. I see you, Matthew. I know who you are, and I know who you're supposed to be. It's a gift. Then you get to, to Matthew 13, and Jesus is, is talking throughout that, that chapter all these different images of what it's like for the kingdom to be real for us. And, and he gets to a place where he says, you know, it, it's like you're just going through a field, and you stumble across a treasure that you didn't know was there, and it changes everything in a moment. Or, or it's like you were uh, someone who, who lived your life searching for something amazing. You're looking for it. And then you come across this this pearl, this amazing thing. And when you realize what you have, you walk away from all the other things that might be calling for allegiance and devotion in your heart because this matters more than anything else. In, in Matthew 18, he talks about us being not only people who've witnessed that gift breaking into our lives. We're not only people who've received it, but we become people, a community of people who, who help other brothers and sisters get to experience that mercy and that grace, that goodness that they've done nothing to deserve, and yet we share it with them anyway because God has freely shared it with us. And then last week in Matthew 19, we have this, this rich young man who comes to Jesus and he says, I want in on this kingdom thing, and I'm able to do a bunch of amazing stuff, and I bring a bunch of resources to the table. What else do I need to do in order to get what I want in the kingdom? And Jesus says, it's not about you and your resources and all the things you got. In fact, as long as you insist on relating to me that way, you can't receive the kingdom as a gift. You think it's your accomplishment. It's never our accomplishment. It's always God's gift. And now in Matthew chapter 20, Jesus tells a story he loves to tell stories. This time, it's, it's a parable where he says, there's this landowner, and he owns a vineyard. And doesn't have anyone to work in the vineyard. Needs some help. So he goes to the marketplace early in the morning, and he finds day laborers who are, are just waiting for someone to hire them. And he says, you know what? If you'll come work in my vineyard, I'll, I'll pay you a denarian. I'll, I'll pay you the going rate for a day's work. Are you willing to do that? Yeah. I mean, otherwise they have nothing to do. So they start to work, and, and then the, the landowner says, you know, I need, I need even more people. So he goes out at 9 o'clock that morning, a little bit later, and he finds some other people standing around. They're doing nothing. They have, they have nothing to do. And he, he says, you know what? Why don't you come work in my vineyard? I'll pay you. This time, he doesn't negotiate a fair rate. He just says, I'll, I'll pay you whatever's right. Because the workday had started earlier. They say, okay. He decides, you know what, I'm going to keep doing this. So he goes out again, this time at noon. He finds more people. They have nothing to do. He says, come work in my vineyard. They come. And then at 3 o'clock. And then just before the workday is going to be over, at 5 o'clock, he goes out again. Maybe, maybe an hour left to work. I'll pay you whatever's right. Come work in my vineyard. 
And that's when things in the story get interesting. You've got your Bible, open up to Matthew chapter 20. We'll start reading together in verse 8. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his manager, Call the workers and give them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, the ones hired at 5 o'clock, and then moving on finally to the first, the guys who've been there all day long. When those who were hired at 5 in the afternoon came, each one received a denarian. Now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarian. And when they received it, they grumbled against the landowner. These who were hired last worked one hour, and they received the same pay as we did, even though we had to work the whole day in the hot sun. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I did you no wrong. Didn't I pay, didn't, sorry, I agree to pay you a denarian? Take what belongs to you and go. I want to give to this one who was hired last the same as I give to you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with what belongs to me? Or are you resentful because I'm generous? So those who are last will be first, and those who are first will be last. Are you resentful because I'm generous? You know, when you're getting ready to preach a text, you live with it all week. And I've lived with this phrase, this question, all week. Because we know that when Jesus tells a parable, a story, and he starts out with the phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, we know that it's not just a story about other people, it's a story about us. And we know that it's a story about him. It's a story about God and our relationship to God and our place and what God is doing in the world. And so this isn't just some imaginary fictional landowner asking some imaginary fictional worker, are you resentful because I'm generous? This is Jesus. This is God asking us, those who are living our lives in service to the kingdom, are you caught up not only in trying to figure out how important your work might be to me, but are you caught up in comparing your work to the work of others? Are you caught up in keeping score and figuring out, you know, you, you know the the way the kingdom works is radically different than the way the world works, but you still have a sense that there's some kind of structure. There's still a top, and there's still a bottom, and there's still all the people in the middle, and because you like to figure out where you are in all of that, you're, you're trying to make sure that you're the best, that you're at the top of the pyramid, that, that you, when it's all said and done, that you're going you're gonna to have a reward that's better than other people whose work is inferior to yours or who didn't work as hard as you did or who didn't work as long as you did. We talked about last week, you know, there, there are no awards in the kingdom of heaven. But Jesus consistently talks about rewards in the kingdom. There's a way that God responds to the work we've done. 
But then the tricky thing is, those rewards never, they never quite go the way we expect them to. Are you resentful because I'm generous? Let's cut right to the challenge of this parable. Because another way to ask this question, or another way to think about this, is for you to wrestle with the following idea. If God decides to let people into heaven who we know did far less good with their earthly lives than we did and we feel cheated, we have totally missed the point of what life in the kingdom really is. Now I know, I know that originally in its historical context, Jesus is talking to people who have a Jewish background when it comes to their faith, and that what he's, he's really trying to get that original audience to wrestle with is you, you've got people who live their lives following the Mosaic law, that they feel like the Mosaic law is what helps them maintain a saving relationship with God, and now you've got all these Johnny-come-latelys that are, that are listening to Jesus, and they've done nothing in following the Mosaic law, and Jesus is going to let them in anyway, and that's not fair. I know it, but as long as we keep it back there about those people, we're not going to let the truth of this parable have its way with us, which is exactly what Jesus wants us to have the courage to do. This isn't, this can't just stay some sort of 2,000-year-old theological debate that only has to do with ancient Judaism. This has to find a way to make us wrestle with the question, if we get to the end of time and people who we saw do things that we, we know weren't great, Mistakes. We saw them say things they shouldn't have said. We saw them go into places they shouldn't have gone. We, they were in relationships with people that didn't make sense to us and that made us think less of them. We keep constant track records on everybody else, sometimes even when we don't realize we're doing it. Because we got to figure out where we are in the kingdom. Are we at the top or the middle or the bottom? Where are we? You know, I may not be the best, but I know I'm better than, than Victor. Isn't that what happens in the privacy of our hearts? And then what happens if you get to the end of time and that person who you saw cut all those corners and make all those mistakes, Jesus is standing with open arms and says, welcome. You don't think you're going to have a little twinge of, could we have had a meeting before you let them in, Jesus? Do you know all the times I sacrificed? Do you know all the, the parties I didn't go to? Do you know all the conversations I, I wasn't involved in? Do you know all the money I could have made? Do you know all the influence I could have had if I hadn't been trying to prove to you that I was serious and these, these people who don't take you nearly as seriously as I do, you're gonna let them in anyway? Let me push the thought experiment even farther to make you even less comfortable what happens if we get, now there's nowhere in scripture that says this is going to happen. It's a thought experiment, but I want you to wrestle with it. What if we get to the end of time and God says, I found a way to let everybody in? Would that bother you? Would it make you feel cheated? He says, yeah, I, I, Jesus and the Holy Spirit and I, we've been talking and 
we're going to let everybody in. What would the reaction be in the privacy of your heart? What would happen in your soul? Because see, that's what's going on here. And I, I think the issue has everything to do with how you and I receive and participate or how we enter or how, how we experience life in the kingdom. Is it a burden that we're having to, to bear up under? Is it some set, obstacle course, right? a set of hurdles that we're trying to navigate here in our earthly lives so that at the end of our earthly lives, God will look at us and, and say, you know what? You've proven yourself to be faithful, so I'm gonna let you in. If life in the kingdom is about you and I proving that we we were good enough to be asked to join the kingdom in the first place and we continue to be good enough to be allowed to stay in, over time, we're going to grow in a certain emotion and Jesus says the word. It's resentment. Do you resent not just his generosity, but if you drill down a little bit more than that, brothers and sisters, it is possible for you to believe in God, to have dedicated your life to following Jesus, and have a growing resentment of what they're not letting you do, that you wish you could do, because you're afraid that if you do it, you'll lose your place in the kingdom. Think of all the things that you could have experienced that Jesus asked you not to. Think of all the fun you could have had. What if he lets everybody in? Now that's not really where I want to leave any of us this morning. Here's where I want us to go. The concept that working in the kingdom is not what we do so that we get the reward of heaven. Working in the kingdom is the reward. Did you hear me? Get off your phone for a second if you're on it. Working in the kingdom is the reward. It's God's gracious way of letting us get to experience the foretaste of heaven now. It's not in the way. It's not a set of obstacles. It's not a bunch of hurdles that God has placed in your life and says, okay, prove it to me. Prove, it that, you, prove that you want it. Prove that you're, you're willing to do it. Prove that, that you will deprive yourselves of all these earthly pleasures and pursuits. And then if you do that well enough, I'll let you in. I'll let you stay in. And then if I'm in a good mood on judgment day, I'll let you into heaven forever. If that's the version of God that you and I are chasing after, no wonder we would struggle with resentment. That is not the God we really have. The God we really have, Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity that's working in our lives is simply trying to get us to trust enough to stop having to find out for ourselves the things that are gonna make our lives less worth living. God just wants us to trust that when he says, don't do this, don't talk like that, instead do this, serve this way, open your heart up to these motivations, that all he's doing is out of love saying, if you'll trust me, you can start to have foretaste of glory divine now. 
And if we get to the end of time and God somehow graciously lets everybody in and we feel cheated, I think there's going to be tears rolling down his cheeks saying, look at all you missed out on while you were there. Look at what you lost. Because you're so worried about what I might be taking from you. Life in the kingdom isn't a burden. It's not a a moral report card. It's a gift. It's a blessing. This is the same mistake that the Israelites made when it came to the gift of of the law itself. It was never supposed to be something that they did in order to get God to love them. God gave them the law as a description of a great blessed life because he already loved them. This is a challenge for us to hold on to. You know, I, I've heard people talk about that thought experiment before. If we get to the end of time, you know, are you gonna, how are you going to feel if God lets everybody in? And then the, the follow-up to that's always, okay, if you, if you can dodge the fact that you have to wrestle with what are your motivations to be in the kingdom and what have, what's your experience of the kingdom been like, if you get past all that, The next question is always, why would we ever evangelize anybody? Because life in the kingdom is heaven now. That's why we would share the good news with people if it wasn't just a way to say, you gotta jump through these hoops to get the reward you want after you die. Is the life we're living in the kingdom so good that we can't help but invite other people into it? That's the question. If I love you, if I care about you, and you're not yet getting to taste this life, wouldn't I tell you about it? How could you stop me from telling you about it? As in so many things, our missionary families at this church lead us in this spirit. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to have a one-on-one conversation with Serge or the Wallaces or Espy and the kids or, you know, we just got to see the, the faces of the scene camps. If you've ever had an opportunity to talk to them, when I talk to them, they tell me all that they're doing and I, I try to keep up with how many hours they've got in the day and I think, how are you, I, I, what, wait a minute, back up. You did what, and you went where, and you talked to who, and, you, and, and there's a joy. There's a blessing that's pouring out of them. They don't, even keep, they don't think of it as work. They think of it as love. That doesn't work for just a few of us. It's what God wants for every single one of us. We don't do what we do in order to get some reward that we think is do us, that that is coming because we've earned it. Those those guys that got hired early in the morning, right, maybe six o'clock in the morning, they got the blessing, the gift of working in his vineyard all day long. Did you hear how they described it once they figured out everybody else was going to get the same thing? We've worked all day in the hot sun. We we were enjoying it till we saw that you were giving everyone the same thing. Now we look back and man, it was rough. 
brothers and sisters, life in the kingdom is a gift, just like your place in it is a gift. Life in the kingdom is a gift. Service in the kingdom helps you be who you've always, you've always wished you could be. You know, in your best moments when you think about the kinds of relationships you wish you had and the things you wish you said and the way you wish you treated people, you know what that is? That's God helping you through working in the kingdom to become a kingdom person. Not somebody who just is in it or works for it, but becomes a living embodiment of it for all the people around you. And isn't that what you and I were created for? To experience not just after we die, but for that to come invading into our lives in all the best, most unexpected, amazing ways possible that we would find that we turn a corner and suddenly it feels like heaven because it is. And it will never come to an end. But it starts now. It starts here. And it starts with God partnering with us and helping us see that what he asks us to do, it's not a challenge. It's a promise. It's it's not a hurdle. It's something that reminds you that you're holy. It's It's not in the way. It is the way. We need to be experiencing that life. We need to be embracing it so that the watching world sees us, sees our joy, sees the love that we have in the labor, in the service of what God is asking us to do and asks us, how can I I be a part of what you're doing? Because God isn't satisfied with those of us who've already accepted the invitation to just stop right there He wants us to call everyone to that same blessed way of life. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, I hope that you are able to think of some people around you in your life who haven't yet committed to the way of the kingdom. And I hope that you find the courage, that you find the love of the work, the love for that service, that you will find an opening to invite them in. Not to a set of of things we're trying to prove, but just to trust that the one who created us, who has given us the gift of life, has also given us a roadmap through that life. It's called the kingdom. It's called the way of Jesus. And I don't care who we've shared it with. There's people waiting. There's more people that we need to reach. Let's stand together now and sing.